Christ. And what a blessing it is to think that in Dallas, Texas, or DeSoto, I can give a dollar that literally can go around the world and be an influential piece in someone knowing Jesus as their Savior. What a blessing it is to give unto Him. Gentlemen, if you will come forward, we will receive God's tithes and offerings. After this, uh, Pastor Christian is going to read to us our Scripture lesson for today. We'll continue on with the service. Let's pray for God's blessing upon our offering. We do that, our Father. We ask your blessing upon uh, our offering today. We give to you out of a heart of gratitude. We give to you as a way of saying we're so blessed. And we ask you to bless our offering, our gifts. You don't need the money. We understand that. But the operation of the message of Christ around the world does. So I ask you to bless our gifts. Multiply it to meet the needs as you did with the loaves and fishes, Lord, may we give from a heart of gladness, for we know that you love a cheerful giver. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Help us to be faithful to you now. We ask your blessing upon our offering. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Derek, for that beautiful song. For those of you who know, um, the song was Blessed Assurance. And it goes, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. My prayer for you this year is that you would know that assurance. And one of the ways that God gives us that assurance is through the reading of his word. And so it's also my prayer this year that you 
be in God's word, where you can receive that assurance for yourself, not just on Sundays, but all throughout your week. Our reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least of the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you've found him, bring me word that I too might go worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. Thank you. We believe in God's word here at our church. We believe it's uh, the words of life and strength and uh, direction and assurance. And we read without uh, apologies uh, from God's word uh, every Sunday. Well, thinking about uh, being past Christmas season and now we've had the wise men come and worship, and we're in the first Sunday of this brand new year. Thought about what uh, God might have us to look at today and examine for helps in this coming year. So I want to read two well-known verses of Scripture from the 12th chapter of Romans. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, very familiar words to us. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in full view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His perfect, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I don't know if anybody makes New Year's resolutions anymore, at least to write them down and to hold them in place. I think uh, for everybody that does write them down, there probably are more of us that just think in our minds what we want to do differently this year. 
those who study these things tell us that a healthy lifestyle is at the top of the list of what people strive for a new year, whether it is eating certain differently or exercising or beginning a, some kind of a, a program in training. We focus on being uh, healthy in our bodies. There are experts tell us there are resolutions regarding relationships and how we want them to be strengthened and different and all those things. There are financial goals. We make a myriad of lists of things that we seek to do in the new year to, to realign ourselves or to reset the focus of our lives. And whether we do it or not, we should also have some spiritual goals as well. I doubt that there are many people who, who write down uh, uh, spiritual resolutions for the new year, but we should do that, and certainly we should ask God to help us along the way. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. What test do we need to do to live a life that has God's victory at its center? We live far below the expectation God has for us, I think. The church lives far below the expectation or the level of living that we should be embracing. God has a plan, and God, has, God is victorious, and God is mighty to save, and He is large, and He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we ask and think. He is in charge of the universe. He's not a puny God. He's not a God that is barely able to help us. He is a great and mighty and powerful God, and that God seeks to infuse Himself into our lives so that we live with a great sense of victory. For if we're not careful... We get defeated by so many things that happen in life. Sickness, death, job loss, financial reversals. The list goes on and on and on and on. We live in kind of a discouraging world, but that is not of God. He is mighty to save. He is great in power. He is seeking to involve himself in our lives at our invitation so that we can live a life of abundance, a life of overcoming. Not necessarily a life of abundance of money, as the TV preachers would tell you, but God wants us to live large in His name. I think the Apostle Paul sets down some of these guidelines for us in this 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Paul is writing to a group of relatively new Christians and the relatively newly formed church in Rome. And Paul is telling these Roman Christians this very thing. God wants to help you to live in such a way that your life is pleasing to Him and acceptable to Him, and the benefit for the individual is that God is able to work in our lives and through our lives to help us overcome what life brings us, what the enemy brings in our path. God wants us to live a life of victory. Paul begins by saying, therefore, therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore, I urge you to, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I urge you that's an interesting Greek word that we translate in English, urge. It means far more than just urge. It's not a suggestion Paul is making. He's not saying, I want to encourage you to try this, or have you thought about this? He is, he's saying something much more definitive. He is begging them to do these things. I beg you to present your bodies. I, 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 I uh, direct you to present your bodies. I plead with you to do these things. Not just a suggestion, because Paul knew that if, we, if anybody would do these things, it would make a difference in how they live their life. I beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Paul would say, I think that the way to spiritual victory in this coming year is that we offer ourselves and surrender to God. We do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world. We allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we seek to live 
within God's will so that our lives are acceptable to Him. Present our bodies. That's our uh, responsibility. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world. That's our responsibility. Transformation and a renewing of our mind is what God does for us. And God seeks to lead us and direct us in the way so that we live within the parameters of His will and in a way that is truly acceptable to Him. I thought this morning as I, as I prepared for today, I thought about why it would be important that we live in a way that God accepts us, that, that what, the way we live is acceptable to God and it's good. And I thought of the story Jesus told towards the end of His ministry when He said to His disciples, the day is coming in which everybody's going to come to me. And I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. I'm going to put some on the right side of me and some on the left side. And this is the way of life and this is the way of destruction. And he said, in that day, many people are going to come to me and say, Lord, we've done so many good things in your name. And you remember what Jesus said, I don't even know who you are. Depart from me. Some translations, you're a worker of iniquity. Because if we're not careful, the things we think are important and pleasing to God might not be to God. We have to live in a way intentionally to seek and find God's will. I want to talk about these uh, aspects this morning. I think Paul would say the first step in, in, uh, in, in realizing God's victory for this year is that we allow God to transform us instead of allowing ourselves to conform to the patterns of this world always been a challenge for us. It's always been a challenge for God's people. How do we not conform to the world's standards and not be strange? Some people have taken this in generations past to mean something very peculiar. And we think that we've got to wear our clothes a certain length and we, we don't cut our hair and we don't wear jewelry or we don't wear makeup or we don't wear... Some people think it's all about things. But it's really not. It's an attitude of our hearts and lives as we embrace the world. I find the characteristics of the world we live in to be, uh, we, we live in an angry society. We live, in a, we live in a society that evil prevails. We live in a society that seeks revenge. If you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. We live in a society that's lost its moral compass. We, with a society kind of says, I do what I want to do when I want to do it. I do what I please when I want to please. We've lost our sense of right and wrong in the world today. We've almost lost our moral compass to know what it really is a good uh, living for God in that aspect versus just doing what we want to do. Paul is saying, if you want to live with God's victory, you've got to stop living like the world and conforming to these patterns. You've got to live intentionally for God and allow Him to transform our lives so that we are different, not weird, not peculiar, not fanatical, not some uh, spectacle of sorts, but we are different because the focus of our life has changed. The fact of the matter is, in most Christian lives, there's too much of the world in most Christian lives. And may I be so far to, uh, so bold to say that, that there's too much of the world in God's church today. Folks, we march to the beat of a different drummer, and if Christ has come into our heart, and the great need of every person is to be saved, and to invite Christ in our heart, and to forgive us of our sins, and to turn our lives around in the focus in which we are living, once He's done that, We've got to look, make sure that we live a life loyal to Him and not to the world. And conforming to the world is a great danger for all of us. Peer pressure is a strong thing. Going along to get along. If you live differently, sometimes people make fun of you. Paul said the first secret to living victoriously 
is that we allow God to transform our lives and, and stop then us conforming to the patterns of this world. You know, as I've talked to people over the years in ministry about the problems they have and, and the difficulty they have in living a right life for God, I've come to the conclusion that there's a whole lot of people who have never really let God transform their lives. They might have accepted Christ. They might have, uh, have asked for forgiveness of their sins, and that's well and good and necessary and eternal. But we've got to let God take the next step and transform us. Some people have never let God transform their lives. Jesus described the living of his people as being in the world but not of the world. And if we're going to have victorious living, it takes place by stopping to conform to the world in which we live and living fully for God. I wonder what difference would be in our homes if we stopped conforming to the patterns of the world in our homes. What we listen to and allow to come into our minds. What we look at what we think about and spend our time dwelling on. It's all, about, it's all about allowing God to transform us from inside out. The fact of the matter is, some of the things we allow into our homes on TV are not of God, and they are conforming to a pattern of the world that is de devastating for us. And some of the places we go, and some of the things we do because the crowd is doing those things, all have a very detrimental aspect to it. The world, in some sense, has lost a sense of right and wrong and of God. And if we make that pattern of our life in that way, we're headed for some very difficult days. Just before Christmas, I think the Friday before Christmas a couple of years ago, I stopped to get gas at Racetrack Gas Station. It's always an interesting thing to go to a racetrack. I think half the world's there just about all the time. It's busy and people are going everywhere and it's kind of dangerous in the parking lot. And, and I can't get the pay at the pump to work. I don't know if anybody has that problem, but I seem to never be able to get the pay at the pump. And so I decide I'm going to walk in and, and pay. I don't decide. I know I need to do that. And I get up to the door and right on the ground, right in front of the door is a, is a man's uh, a billfold. And it's folded over, of course, and it's about that thick, and it seems to be stuffed full of money. At least one corner of the bill is showing, and it's a $100 bill. Just a few days before Christmas. And I deem that somebody has probably set that on the hood of their car or the side of their truck, and they forgot it, and they backed out, and it has fallen off. And so I pick it up and don't know what to do with it for a while. But finally, I decided that if that was me, I would soon realize that I had lost something like that. It was so thick to not be in a pocket would be noticeable immediately, and they probably would come back. So I went in to talk to the manager and uh, told him that I'd found this, and I was sure the person would be back. And I took his name. I think I might have tried to take a picture of him on my phone, so at least to think I was checking up on him. And hopefully they would not take the money out and, and, uh, and would return it to the individual when they came back. I was telling a guy that I had worked, used to work with that story, and he said, man, what a lucky day for you. Right before Christmas, he said, you've been, you've been blessed, my brother. He said, you just had uh, maybe several hundred dollars fall into your lap. And I said, well, not really, not my money. That, that money might be somebody's paycheck. It's Friday before Christmas. That, that money may be somebody's Christmas. That might be their house payment or their food money or rent for, for this coming week. I couldn't dare keep it. And he looked at me as if I had, as if I had uh, uh, let a string of cuss words out that's, you know, so out of character for me. He looked at me like I'm crazy. And he said, oh, no. He said, don't you understand? Finders keepers. It's yours. 
And then he went on to say, in fact, he said, if you keep that money, you're doing this guy a favor because you're teaching him a lesson to be careful with his money, and he won't make sure he won't do it again. You should keep that money. The longer he talked, he said, you should keep that money, and you're doing this guy a favor. And I said, you're, 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 cra- you're talking nonsense. And I was talking about one thing, and he was talking about another thing, and he didn't understand what I was saying at all. It was a great illustration to me that we live in a world that's lost this sense of right and wrong. And the lines are not clear, and the lines are not drawn firmly. People steal quite easily. People lie quite easily. I was noticed, I noticed some national research that came out in the last year or so about how many high school kids cheat on tests. And I was shocked at the number. It was almost everybody. You see, Christ's call in our lives is to live different from the standards of the world, and it begins by submitting ourselves to God and surrender to Him and not conforming to the world, but allowing God to transform our lives. Could it be this year, as we begin the first Sunday of this year, that our greatest need is to let God's transforming power come into our heart and life and change us completely from the inside out? You might not be able to see the change outwardly. You might not, we, we, we won't look any differently. We won't dress weirdly. We won't gather together. And I preached at churches that back in the days of vinyl records. Anybody remember vinyl records? I think that's what they're made of. And they burned those rock and roll records. Man, they have a big pile and they would celebrate that. One place had the newspaper out and uh, taking pictures of these fanatical Christians burning these rock and roll records. I didn't want to be in the picture, even though I wasn't from there. Nobody knew who I was, but been a place that, 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 was give, that was destroying their TVs uh, because it doesn't have wholesome entertainment. And they were throwing away TVs better than any TV I'd ever had. I kind of secretly wanted to get one of those if they didn't want it and take it home. And, you know, I'd, not the TV that's bad, it's how it's used. Well, I'll go on and not to belabor that and not get too far off in the bushes. Folks, a step to spiritual victory is to allow God to transform our lives. And some of us ought to stop doing the things we've been doing and stop listening to the things we've been listening to and stop watching the things we, we, we focused on and, and seek to live a life after God's will. We don't seek to be different. We seek to be godly. And it's the godliness that sets a different standard in our lives. Too much of the world in our lives. Too much of the world in our Christian home. Too much of the world in God's church today. If you want spiritual victory, it begins by not conforming to the patterns of this world, Paul says, but presenting ourselves to God in total surrender and allowing God to transform our lives. And then he goes on to talk about the renewing of our minds. What an interesting concept. The renewing of our minds, the refreshing of our minds, the things we think are dear and the things we hold on to and the things we mentally begin to embrace and the things we think are important. It's all about refreshing our minds. I'm interested sometimes on my laptop to see that, uh, that, that uh, it's time to give a refreshment to, 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 uh, to the computer, and I take it in to the geek guys, the geek squad, and they say, how about if we do a refresher on this? And I always ask them what that is. Well, we wipe away all the junk that shouldn't be there that you're not using that's come inadvertently. And we restore your service back to its core programs and its core files. It's a refreshing 
how we need a revival in the church of God these days in which we allow God to refresh our minds with His Spirit and with His power to get rid of the junk, to get rid of the bitterness and the anger and the hurt and the frustration and the doubt and the discouragement that sometimes overtakes us. We allow God's fresh touch to be upon our minds if you want to live a life of victory in 2019. It begins in this process of allowing God to renew our minds and refresh our focus and clean things up and get things back centered on what's really important. We don't live in the world's standards, but we allow God to work in our minds. As the mind thinketh, so the heart responds. As the mind thinks, so becomes our actions. Jesus began to say, in his public ministry, you, you guys in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic Law, had very definitive rules of what's right and wrong. One of them, you, it says, you don't, not, do not kill, do not murder. But Jesus said, in your mind, if you consent in your mind to do that, and you would if you could, if you could get away with it, you have already become guilty of that. The mind is the center of where so many things happen in lives, our lives. Quite frankly, we ought to get on our knees, all of us, me included, and pray that God would cleanse us from the bad attitudes we've had, and God would cleanse us from the desire to spread gossip, and God would cleanse our mind from the desire to get even, and, and all those things. God would refresh and renew us and restore us to the victory He gave us when we first became a Christian. Amen. I'll say amen to that, to renew our minds. And then He, he, he finally says that, that that will allow us to live in a way that pleases God. Great steps to spiritual victory. Present your body and surrender to God. Stop conforming to what's going on around you. Allow God to transform your life by the renewing of our minds so that we can live a life that is acceptable and pleasing to God. We live in an interesting world in which the spiritual compass is defined for many people by what everybody else is doing. I hear regularly people say, I'm as good as the next guy. I'm okay because I'm sincere about my beliefs, even though their beliefs are far different from God's Word. Uh, just because everybody's doing it does not make it right with God and does not make it a spiritual aspect. It's possible, folks, everybody's wrong. That's a general statement. You know what I mean. I hope you know what I mean. Uh, but the masses and the crowds do not affirm the life we're living as being a life that God is, accepts. It is God's will and God's way. Is your focus this year in your life to have your world transformed? If you're, is your main focus to earn more money or to keep more money? I've learned that earning money is only half the equation. You got to keep it. I wish I would have. <laughs> I wish I'd have learned that truth a lot younger in my life. It's not how much you make. Sometimes how much you keep, how much you're able to preserve. Your goal is to all these things. Our goal should be this year, plain and simple, that we live a life that is pleasing and acceptable to God. And how do we know if we're doing that? The Bible says God gives us the witness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God gives us a consciousness that is alive. And God will direct us. Listen, folks, the problem most of us have is not that we don't know if we should be doing that or not. We really truly know what we should do and shouldn't do. It's trying to justify the things we do that gets us into trouble. It's my goal to live a life that's pleasing to God. 
Will I be the only one at work that doesn't engage in slander and backstabbing? Would I be the only one in my workplace that doesn't participate in jokes that are not appropriate? Would I be the only one in my place of business that doesn't flirt with those of the opposite sex? Would I be the person to stand out from the crowd? I've learned in my working career that, that it is not right for a Christian person to, to, to criticize the boss because you don't like him or to participate in any of that, whether he's a Christian or not. It's not right for me. I've learned that not conforming to the world in the workplace is one of the most difficult things to do because people single you out and people think and people make fun of you and it's hard to be in that environment when everybody's laughing at the joke and you try not to be. When God's name is taken in vain and I know there's sometimes that, that uh, we're in a work setting where we just can't get up and leave or we can't tell the boss not to say that anymore but, but God help us to preserve what we hear in our minds. God's name is used so flippantly these days. The Bible speaks of honoring God and His Word and His holy name. And we live a life that is pleasing to God. If Jesus came to your house today, would you want to watch the same shows and the same movies that we have been watching? I know this is really, really borders on being in the bushes, as we say, but folks, it's where we live. Jesus came to your house today. Would, would we have to dig around and find a Bible to put out on the table and hide some other things? Jesus came to our house today, would he find that prayer regularly happens in our homes? I could go on and on. You, you get the, the, the point, I think. I hope you do. We need to live in a way that is pleasing to God because that is everything. It doesn't matter all the good things we've done. It doesn't matter that we've fed the homeless and we've helped and deliver coats and blankets and all those wonderful things. What matters is, have we lived a life that God says is right and acceptable before Him? And God help us if we do not. It'll be a sad, shocking day in the last day for many people who thought they were, but they were not. Well, God has great victory for us this year, my friends. Do you believe that? Say amen if you believe it. God has great victory for us in 2019. It is not a year without problems and some devastating things. God has victory for us in the midst of it all. And God wants us to be an overcomer to what life brings us so that those things don't overcome our lives. God wants our church to have a successful, victorious year in which we touch the lives of men and women and boys and girls who do not know Him. And folks, if we're not finding people coming to the Lord and accepting the Lord through our work and our ministry, we're, we're missing it somewhere. God wants to bless our church, bless our lives, bless our marriages, bless our homes and our relationships with our kids. God has nothing but great blessing intended for all of us. If we could put ourselves in a position to live in a way that God is able to work that way. Paul told these Christians at Rome, I beg you, I plead with you to live in this. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. He's not going to destroy your life. He's not going to make sure that you don't ever have fun again. Submitting to God is the right thing to do, going back to the originator and the creator. Allow God to transform your life. Don't give in to the patterns of the world. I think it's a Philip translation that says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Allow God to transform your life by the renewing of your minds. And that is the way we live in a way that is pleasing and acceptable to God. Good and perfect. God has great 
things in store for us this year if we will just trust him. I read a story a, a while ago about a lady named Pam that proves this very thing. And uh, Pam, Pam and her husband, Bob, were, were, I would call them career missionaries. They had been in the Philippines, I think, for 24 years. They already had four kids, four boys. Most of them, I think there were four boys, four kids anyway. They, most of them were born in the Philippines, and, and they were giving their life in service to God. And uh, Pam began to have this, uh, this uh, gnawing urge that, that uh, uh, God would want them to have one more child. Kind of scared Bob in a lot of ways. Uh, he didn't want to have another child. He had four, about all he could afford. He didn't know how in the world. And they talked about it for a while, as couples do, and they talked and debated and maybe even argued a little bit, but, but uh, he knew that she was a woman of prayer. And, and uh, you know, you, you got, sometimes we get to, in arguing with each other, we argue with the Lord, and he didn't want to do that. Well, in the midst of all this conversation, Pam got sick. I mean, she got really sick. They thought it was just a stomach virus and would, pass, uh, would, would last two or three days and uh, be gone, but... Three days later, she was sicker than before. And if I made an appointment with the doctor and got some pretty strong antibiotics and she began to take those medicine, that medicine, believing in three or four days, she would begin to see a turn and an improvement. But in four days, she was not any better. In fact, was worse. They debated with that with the doctor for two or three more days. And finally, the doctor said she probably ought to go in the hospital. And they didn't want to do that. But uh, she got a high fever and kind of became uh, an, almost in a comatose state. And when they finally admitted her to the hospital, the doctor came out and said to Bob, we're going to do everything we can to save her life. And, and Bob said, she just has a stomach virus. And, and the doctor seemed to emphasize the seriousness of all of that, of her condition. She was in a coma for three or four or five days. They began to give her intravenously the strongest antibiotics available. That They poured everything into her that, that they could. I would say they gave her everything but the kitchen sink, but I don't think that's a medical term to our folks here. They poured high doses of antibiotics, and after four or five days, she began to come around and begin to wake up and, and seemed to be getting a little bit better. They ran up multiple uh, they ran a series of tests on her, multiple tests. And as an offshoot to that, to those tests, they recognized something that shocked them, these doctors, deeply. They recognized that Pam was actually pregnant. And what in the world would she do? They knew that the antibiotics they had given her and the medication they had given her was so strong and so powerful that not it was designed to keep her alive but would be so detrimental to a child. And once they tested again and confirmed all of it and confirmed that, they said to her these words, the doctors, what we've given you to stay alive will destroy your baby and you need to have an abortion as soon as you can. It'll be all right with you. They actually said, you know, in the early stages of pregnancy, the doctor reported this is, just a, this is just some tissue and things like that. It's not any big deal. And Pam said, wait a minute, it's a big deal to me. And the doctors pressured her to have an abortion, and the doctors almost insisted. In fact, if the doctors could have made her do that, they would have done it without even asking. But they, they put pressure on her. And she said, I need to pray about it. And the doctors came back in day after day for a week or so to tell her of the brain damage that their child would have and how the drugs would have such a negative effect upon the development of that fetus that there was no way it would be healthy and no way it would be whole and, and it would be 
perhaps even a monster-looking thing if it was ever born. She had to have an abortion, and Pam said, no, I'm going to pray about this. Three days later, she told Bob, God has said, no, I'm not going to conform to the pressures of this society, of this world, because this group of people think I need to. God has given us a child. We've been praying about it. God has given us a child. Why he did it in this way, I don't know, but God has given us this child, and it is our responsibility to see it through. And they announced to the doctors that, come what may, she was going to carry this child. If it was deformed, so be it. They would take care of the child. If it was, if it was, uh, if his brain had not developed, so be it. They would take care, and they would do their best to love and nurture this child. It was a gift from God, and the doctors said, you're crazy. They probably didn't say that words, but they certainly indicated that you're making a very foolish decision. A very And Pam said, I will not be forced into conforming to this. I'm keeping this child. And boy, she was sick through that pregnancy. Almost four times in the next, in the next, uh, in the next six months, almost four times they believed that she was losing the baby. But every time, things would turn at the very, at the very moment, things would turn and she would kind of uh, recoup a little bit and the last two months, the eighth and ninth months, she had to be in bed for bed rest. And finally came the day and the time when she should deliver. Pam, and, and they were talking about what that would be. Pam said to Bob one day, I've been talking to God, and I told God that if he, will, if he will give me a healthy child, if he will give me a healthy son, we will train him to be a preacher. Don't, you can't bargain with God that way, but that was their commitment. She said the day of the delivery, the delivery room was full of people. Part of them were attending to her needs and the baby's needs. Part of them just wanted to witness what was, what was about to happen. And she said everybody in the room, except her and Bob, were shocked at her delivery of a healthy, complete little boy. They tested, the doctors tested him in every way, and he seemed to be, he seemed to be all together in he didn't seem to be suffering from brain damage, and he, didn't seem to, he wasn't missing any parts, and all the pieces were there, and, and they were just amazed. And she told Bob, we've got to name him, and we should name him Timothy after the young man in the Bible. And they named him Timothy, and he helped in the dad's work, and the mom's and dad's work in the Philippines, and he became a preacher of sorts. He preached in prisons, and he preached in the hospital, and he helped his dad in ministry, and he also became quite a football player. We don't know him as Timothy. We know, him, uh, know of him as Tim, Tim Tebow. At the University of, of Florida, became the only sophomore, college sophomore, to ever win the Heisman Trophy and went on to play professional football and probably was ridiculed out of the world of professional athletics because of his beliefs. But Tim Tebow now speaks to stadiums full of people and churches all across America, and God has done something in this young man's life that you can't, you can't orchestrate on your own. It has to be only from God. And she said, I didn't conform. I allowed God to work in my life. I made decisions that would be pleasing to God, and God has blessed in this incredible way. Folks, the steps to victory are, are recorded by the pen of the Apostle Paul. God has great victory for us this year. I urge you this week to spend a little time thinking about presenting yourself to God in a new and fresh way. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, you present yourself to God as a living sacrifice to Him. I urge you to think about allowing God to transform our minds.
that results in a transformed life. I urge you not to give in to what everybody else is doing. Live intentionally and live in a way that pleases God. Your life will be blessed. Your home will be blessed. Your world will be blessed. Our church will be blessed. Most of all, God will be honored and the will of God will go forward in touching lives of those around us. May it be a great year of victory. It is my prayer for you. I didn't know how to spend the coming of the new year. I think I'd already gone to sleep once for the night, but a little before midnight, I woke up. And I decided it best certainly to pray for me. But I prayed for every one of you by name that God would do something in our lives this year, something in your home this year that would be so powerful that it allows us to live a victorious life above what the enemy in the world has for us, that victory would be ours because we yield ourselves to God. May it be so and may it be true in our lives. We thank God for his help. And everybody says amen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Would you say that amen? We're going to stand and sing a, 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 a hymn of uh, affirmation as our closing song. A little chorus we sang a few weeks ago, Bless the Lord on my soul. We're going to sing it as a testimony and as an anthem. And would urge you to sing fully as we honor God today in music. Father, we ask your blessing upon us as we leave this building and go to our homes and our places of responsibility. But may we not get away from the parts of the service in which you spoke to us. May we honor you by being obedient to your will. We ask you to guide and direct our lives. Help us in every step of the way to live in a way that's pleasing to you. In your name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. And you are dismissed.